And I quote, I can't describe the feeling I had when I reached the top of a mountain. It was like nothing else. Suddenly, all the pain and heartache it had taken to get there was forgotten when I found myself stepping on top of the world. I'd put so much in getting up Denali, it was the coldest, most physically demanding thing I'd ever set out to do. The mountain was tough, but that day I was tougher. Even better, I conquered my fear. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm Chuck Garcia, and my guest this evening, I am honored to present and to have him here on the show, is named Jordan Romero. And in case you don't know who Jordan Romero is, he's an American mountaineer who on May 22nd, 2010, became the youngest person ever to climb Mount Everest. He was 13 years and 10 months. He also climbed a lot of other mountains, including one in Antarctica called Vincent Massif. And in December of 2011, he became the youngest climber in the world to complete what is known as the Seven Summits, the highest peak in each continent. He is now a student or graduated from college at Westminster College in Salt Lake City, Utah. Jordan Romero, welcome to A Climb to the Top. Thank you, Chuck. It's an honor to be here on the show, and I can't wait to share some stories and lessons with y'all. Indeed, it is great to have you here. And for all my listening audience, they know I'm a mountaineer. You and I have had many mountains in common, two of them in the United States, Mount Mansfield and Mount Washington. I have been on the top of two summits of Mount Kilimanjaro and of Mount Elbrus in Russia, but you have been on many more. I would love to begin, Jordan, first. What was it like? to, in retrospect, to be a 10-year-old mountaineer? Uh, I think looking back, I am amazed that my parents even said yes and actually took me seriously. (laughs) I feel like 10 is really young. And it didn't seem like that at the time. Even when I was 13, you know, I didn't, I kind of was always looking around like, oh, what's the big deal? Like, I'm just 13. And then now I look back and I'm like, wow, it's, that was pretty dang young, but yeah, 10, it was, uh, it, I, I think it was just more so just following my curiosity. You know, I think after I saw the, uh, this mural for the listeners that don't know that, um, that I came across this, uh, mural that was, uh, newly painted over summer at my elementary school. And so when we were returning back to, back to school, uh, it was a, uh, piece of artwork that I just found myself like so fascinated with. And I just have always had a wandering mind. And for some reason, just seeing the names of the mountains all below Mount Everest, you know, lo and behold, it's the most famous one that everyone knows, but to know, to learn about these mountains that I didn't know about before, such as like Mount Aconcagua, Denali, and Kilimanjaro, and Elbrus, and Vincent Massif, and so on, uh, I feel like I, I I wanted to learn more about it. I wanted to see what these mountains actually looked like in, uh, you know, doing some online research after school uh, before my dad would come pick me up. So it took me a couple of weeks to even you know, approached my parents and my family about this possible idea that I was sort of hinting at them at first. And, uh, and then it eventually evolved into, you know, why not try Kilimanjaro, um, you know, just to kind of see where that goes, because that's where a lot of seven summers will often start is either like Mount Kilimanjaro or Kosciuszko or something a lot less technical. And uh, it was, it was, um, it was an experience, both fundraising for the mountain and just like getting everything in order. I feel like on the logistics side, my dad and Karen were both so 
avid in that through adventure racing because they had already been world travelers. So uh, we were kind of able to incorporate that minimalistic, you know, carrying like gear style into, um, into like Mount, uh, into Kilimanjaro, for example, you know, the mountain took us three days. And, um, and so as we, uh, as we got closer to the top though, I also remembered like, well, I am 10 years old and, uh, and I do also have like emotions that can give the best of me. And so it's a mixture of homesickness. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't really fully know how to suffer too. And if anything, you know, Kilimanjaro is a good one to start out with. It's, there's less consequences, I feel like, for that to happen other than like other than altitude sickness. But that was, that was, uh, it, it, that was a skill to learn was to, uh, going back to that, learning how to suffer uh, for me as a 10-year-old. And um, it took me, I, there yet, like, two or three years to kind of evolve that. And uh, as we fast forward, like Denali was kind of that breaking pivot point in which I had a lot more confidence after that mountain to take on anything bigger and greater, such as Everest. Well, let me go back in time. Um, most nine-year-olds who go to their dads or moms say, hey, can we go out and play catch? And they hope for a yes or a no. Did you even contemplate that your dad would not only say yes, actually do what it is a nine-year-old asked to do? You know, I think that, that he, in a way, was was very excited, I think, with the initial thought of, like, having something that him and I could kind of relate to a little bit more. Because when I saw him and Karen doing adventure racing all around the globe, you know, I would see them at their lowest of lows, you know, like, coming through some checkpoints, looking like they had, you know, barely survived a war in a way, you know, that it's just, like, brutal how it just breaks you down. And that just did not seem fun or appealing to me at all. So I feel like with uh, climbing, he was just, um, you know, excited to, you know, be able to do something uh, with me in that sense. And so he was just like super excited and on board to just like, you know, adventure with his son, um, which, you know, you could totally understand. And he was just more than happy to, you know, say like, all right, we don't have the immediate resources, but we're going to figure it out and uh, do a little like, you know, improvise along the way and you know that's what kind of led us to we were a working class family so we did have to fundraise for a lot of these climbs and so I think uh the fact that he just believed in me so much and just had like the love and and Karen as well who her and I aren't even biologically related but she's been the equivalent of you know a second mom in that sense and she was just so on point with like logistically uh, managing um you know the trips themselves and she was, uh, you know, to, to have us three, it was just a really synergistic and special um, trio, I guess, to really make it happen. So, well, yeah. I, I'll say to our audience, Jordan, and I'll summarize between the ages of 10 and 14, stepped on many of those seven summits, including Denali, which is the one that I described at the opening. And then the last one, Vincent Massif in, in Antarctica. But there was something interesting, and I want to point out that I read this book, and for those who are watching us, hopefully you can see it. It's called No Summit Out of Sight. It's the book that Jordan had written and what he cataloged with Linda LeBlanc when he returned from the Seven Summits. And what was really interesting, I looked at this not through the lens of a mountaineer, but I looked at this through the lens of a father. And Jordan was living in between two worlds. His mom, Leanne, lived in a part in a different place. And Jordan, you lived growing up, you lived both in both places, right? You had shared custody? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, growing up, uh, my parents uh, were, uh, were divorced, I think when I was three years old. And so I never knew a life of, you know, them being together uh, at this point, even to this day, I'm like, just seeing their two personalities. I was like, you guys are were together at some point. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's, uh, so yeah, it, it was relatively different. You know, my mom is, uh, her background is education and she kind of uh, takes life a little bit more, like she's a planner. She's a little bit more structured in a way. Um, my dad is very, uh, was very spontaneous and was just like, oh, let's go do this out of the blue, you know, all the time. And so uh, I think learning both characteristics, I think I was able to kind of, you know, attribute my personality from both of those in a way. Um, you know, I am a planner and I do like, you know, obviously like thinking ahead, but you know, I'm always, you know, even last night too, like at 8.30 PM, like my roommate was like, Hey, want to go do this mountain tomorrow? I'm like, let's do it. I have nothing else going on. So that yeah, was but it interesting, you know, the, in, in, early, reading, but. in reading No Summit Out of Sight, it's, it's, a, it's a love story in a sense, because there are two people, one that happens to be in the tent with him, and, and that's his dad, Paul. And then there's Karen, who climbed with you, who loved you like a son. And your mom, Leanne, is back home while you're climbing these treacherous and potentially dangerous mountains. You related a couple times on the mountains where, where in, in the event you had a satellite phone, you called your mom. And I thought that was a loving tribute to that's the first person you seem to have thought of to share the accomplishment. How did that feel being between those two worlds and picking up and hearing her voice? When you're asking how it feels, it uh, I think looking back, it's it, it was just such a, I don't know, it was definitely a, definitely a lot of love for sure in, in a sense in which I you know, obviously she was the, the first person, you know, going back to what you said that I felt like I had to share this with and just like, let her know that ultimately she wants to know that I'm safe and that I'm, that I'm at a certain point, because as we got closer to the top, our, our, uh, our, uh, GPS basically, or our spot locator was like slightly off track in a way. So everyone was kind of like, wait, it's been there for like a while. Where, why are they stopped or whatever? And then that's when my mom got the phone call and it was just kind of more of like a reassurance and, so she was just, I could hear her crying over, over the other line. And uh, she was just more so like, she was just always wanting to make sure that I was uh, safe and happy, you know, and I think that's, that's not really much to ask for, but it can be, you know, in a way. And so she's just like, and, you know, when you're at the summit of a mountain, you're not done. You still have to climb back down the exact way you came up. So, you know, as long as I'm home, you know, that's where you have really completed the trip. Your, your dad was such a critical component. What was the dynamic like at 10, 11, 12, 13, you're accomplishing these amazing things and you got this dad who's an adventurer and he's really inspiring you. Yet sometimes there were in the book you talked about, you were crying and it's tough. And I can imagine, hey, as an adult, we were in tears sometimes over the pain. What was that like with your dad through each year that you were hitting a different major accomplishment? Did it change over time? For sure. No, I'm glad you asked that. I felt like there was a lot more to learn about my dad. I think uh, right when all uh, right when all the climbs uh, first started and getting to know him and his way of thought and the way that he approaches things. And, uh, you know, it, it was kind of it was interesting kind of getting to know him and just seeing the mindset of, you know, someone who's willing to go 
run 500 miles in the middle of the desert with minimal resources and like someone who really knows how to how to suffer um you know he's he Going back, I mean, he's he's a very smart and calculated person. He's uh, he's worked in the medical field uh, as an EMT and uh, doing life life medics. So it was always reassuring to have him there with that knowledge, in a sense, in case uh, something does go wrong. Like he would know the you know first immediate procedures on what to do if anything were to go wrong. And so I felt like I um, was able to kind of. Uh, kind of absorb some of that uh within you know my own personality too because it that was like the first thing I think when uh when things when a, when a couple times things did go wrong the first thing was to do was just like not panic at all and to calmly assess the situation and kind of just move consistently as far as like you know taking it step by step of how we can like resolve this um this issue and how can we make an alternative plan or do we need to turn around or um and i think like critical decision making too was like the the big thing too especially that was more from both my dad and karen because you know safety was always just our big mantra as we approached each mountain you know we were always so good about like checking in with each other and that's kind of how we got to know each other so well was just like you know asking how we were feeling if we were developing any high altitude sickness uh symptoms at all or anything um, so yeah, I think, I think those were positive characteristics to, uh, to take. And, you know, I think like between my mom and my dad going back to that, I feel like I was able to, you know, we all have drawbacks and whatnot, but I feel like, and nobody's perfect, but I try to just take as much of the, you know, positive, you know, sides of each personality and try to run with those, um, with those characteristics, you know? Yeah. Did you feel looking back, your dad pushed you in a good way, a bad way, or was there always some combination in between that ultimately resolved itself when you accomplished the feat? For sure. I think, uh, I think the way we approached training for each mountain was, uh, that was when I noticed my dad was definitely the hardest on me and it's kind of like the same thing in the military you know when you go through those hell weeks or you go through those boot camps they make sure that you endure the the worst you know during those points so that you know after and when you're actually out on the field it's you know a lot more mentally uh manageable for uh for those people so that was kind of the same thing with uh with training i think he pushed me a lot harder for sure like you know even just training in big bear and just whether it was mountain biking or like trail running or whatever it might be you know, if I was even running at a slower pace, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going at the speed and pace, you know, above average. And he's telling me like, all right, dude, pick up the pace a little bit more. <laughs> and I can't, I could tell, I couldn't even tell you, like there were just countless times I was just like pulling my hair out. I'm like, Oh my God, this guy's really getting on my nerves. And, and Karen was good about that too. Yeah. I think both of them just knew, um, you know, some, what I was realistically able to do if I just pushed a little bit further in a way. So um, I think mostly good. I mean, some might argue he might have been definitely a little hard on me, like during the whole training cycle as a young person. But honestly, I think it's ultimately resulted in positive results. And uh, but when it came to climbing, like when we were actually there, that was when it was just more focused on like working together as a team. And, you know, we weren't like there's just no, you know, telling somebody to pick up the pace there a little bit. You know, it's it's you're just trying to make sure that all of you get from point A to B safely. So yeah. that's how we approached it. But yeah, same thing with training. It was just, you know, that we made sure to like endure the worst <laughs> for the most part uh, as we were doing that. 
You're listening to A Climb to the Top Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm Chuck Garcia, and my guest this evening is very proudly to present Jordan Romero. Jordan, you described um, part of your training as an 11-year-old. I think your, your dad gave you a tire from a, an SUV, and you wrapped that tire around you, and you dragged, <laughs> you, you attached a rope to it, and you dragged it up the hills, and Big Bear Lake is 7,000 feet above sea level where you grew up. What was it like at that age when your friends were out playing baseball and soccer and all the things and riding their bikes and you're running up hills with attached to the tire of a Ford Explorer? How, how are you feeling when everyone else was having fun and you weren't? <laughs> you know, that was, that was tough. That was, that was tough in, in uh, looking back as far as, you know, just coming straight home from school and, and this was during middle school and my school was literally right down the street from uh from our house uh basically which we called like the base camp and so <clears throat> i walked probably about like a half mile home and straight away just like i i kind of learned <clears throat> through that point i was like i can't sit down because if i sit down i'm i'm going to dread the training process more so it was more of just like learning how to just get home eat something and then go straight into it just so I don't have to like re-motivate myself you know and uh so that whole process was uh it was tough for sure because I I felt like that is kind of what started I think the uh feeling of like missing out I think with uh of like hanging out with friends um and looking back like I obviously shouldn't have cared but you know for me as as an 11 year old I I just did you know any kid that age would and so uh to come home and to put on this 45 pound backpack at least and uh just get on the harness uh you know clip the carabiner that was like attached to the rope to the tire like straight onto my harness and then uh so we lived on like a steeper non-maintained dirt road literally during the winter we would have to shovel this road because plows didn't even come through here so as uh, as you kind of ventured up my street it was uh it was like kind of flat like up all dirt and then it just slowly got steeper and steeper. And our house was kind of right, like right where it got steeper. And uh, it was just laps up and down, which I could probably say was about like three, uh, 350 yards or something like back and forth of just running up and down. And I think it was at least like 10 laps or something that, like that that I would do um, at least on a daily basis, at least like three or four times a week for the most part. But yeah, that's just like, what the primary um, method of training was to kind of uh, strengthen my hips and my core a little bit so that I would be able to toast sleds with numerous amounts of gear on Denali. And, um, and after all, it definitely benefited me greatly. And, you know, obviously as you're, as you're towing a sled on snow, it's not as much, you know, traction on the sled. So, but even on the steeper parts, like it helps so much. So yeah, it's a definitely Navy, Navy, Navy SEAL training. If you ever read about totally. any what they go through, let me switch the focus, Jordan, because now you're you, when you return from what were these amazing accomplishments, you were on 2020 and the Today Show. Now you're coming home at the age of 15. And by the time college came around, you're settling into what is a more traditional life. You decided to go to Salt Lake City. How come? So I chose Salt Lake City because I got to know this place really well going to um, outdoor retailer uh, trade show, uh, which happened uh, twice a year, one in the summer, one in the winter. That was where it was that con 
that uh, gathering and convention alone, that was the source of all of our connections that we made to be able to, you know, afford these trips a little bit more with free gear and, and sponsorships and all that stuff. And so Salt Lake, you know, and that, and that convention was kind of like what allowed that. And so uh, I got to know Salt Lake uh, quite a bit. And uh, as I got into skiing more and more, like Utah just looked like the absolute Mecca and like where I just should be because Big Bear is great. And like, you know, looking at friends that grew up in the Midwest and the East Coast, like Big Bear was pretty awesome for sure. Like to learn how to ski and uh, but we just don't get snow there. And so like middle of January, it's 60 degrees and you're wearing sunglasses and it's you're just shedding layers. So uh, and then, you know, you go from. 20 inches of natural snow a year because they have to you know make snow uh in big pair uh coming to a place that averages like 400 was just like an insane difference so uh it just felt like the right move for me it also is uh i, I was kind of like debating between like colorado and lake tahoe as well and yeah. i think as far as just opportunity and living in a city with incredible access to literally whatever you want to do it doesn't matter what outdoor sport you do as long as you're not surfing because we're just not by the ocean but everything <laughs> yeah, <you're> else <laughs> everything else is here if you are a rock climber you are probably in one of the best places in the world for that mountain biking oh my god world class here like you know mountain running skiing all this stuff like it's just unbelievable there's amazing rivers if you're if rafting is your thing you know down the state a little bit more like it's it it's I can't find anything this place doesn't have other than the ocean you know being more landlocked but, but um, you, you it, just, it just seemed like the perfect fit understood and yet in high school when everyone else is I'm going to go to UCLA and you know wherever there's going to be you made the conscious decision to go to Westminster College which is a lovely place nestled in Salt Lake City but Jordan this is interesting your transformation is almost flip-flopped to 99.9% .9 of the people because you've lived these amazing accomplishments as a teenager and now you're settling into a routine life. What did you study and what is the next chapter potentially looking like for you? <laughs> Thank you, Chuck. I, uh, well, as far as uh, traveling around the world goes, I felt so um, amazed and grateful to have the perspective of seeing what other cultures live like around the world. And that was when I understood that as I travel around the world, I realized that my world isn't the world. <clears throat> and I feel like that's what, <clears throat> sorry, excuse my throat. Uh, <clears throat> my, I, I come from a small town and the perspective is super limited, um, you know, amongst who I went to school with. And for numerous reasons, like obviously there were a lot of kids who grew up in like borderline poverty and low and lower income that I grew up with. And so like, I understand why they don't really have that and there's people who don't leave big bear really ever and it's a small town it, you're kind of like in an island comparatively um in southern california and so it's uh it, it's just a small town mindset and i think after seeing that i realized like you know big bear isn't the world the u.s isn't the world you know it's like every it, it just made me a lot more aware of of uh, things that go on and realizing that like you know, whatever I discard with trash will end up somewhere else on the opposite side of the world at some point, you know, and I, I kind of understood that everything comes around a little bit full circle. So I think it was just focusing into like my environmental studies degree, which is what I ended up pursuing in 
college, uh, I just kind of like got into the specifics of that and kind of how to approach that these problems as a leader and also uh, thinking a little bit more long term and uh, kind of thinking about obviously you have to consider like economic implications if you're going to um, put in environmental policy and how that affects the economy. So uh, I got a minor in economics just so I have that kind of solidification of kind of a reality check in which I feel like that's kind of lacking with a lot of uh, people who are kind of envir uh, environmentalists and, you know, further left because I feel like they don't really, you know, I think you, you got to come into it with like a business perspective right. too. So I thought that was uh, really important. So I think as long as we can find those solutions that everyone's on board with that does benefit, you know, the economy and businesses and, you know, just global trade, I feel like that's kind of the, the only way to do it and to um, get out of this mess that we've uh, inherited slash are kind of perpetuating. And so it just um, kind of made me realize too, I mean, it's our earth too, but it's ultimately our human species that we're looking to continue. And that is what's at risk in a sense. Like the earth has endured so much, but, but it's just a matter of saving ourselves. And so, uh, but I think like we have to get creative and I think it's, I, I love discussions and just talking about that and, you know, having people play devil's advocate, you know, or having me do that and just trying to like, you know, really challenge those perspectives, you know? When you were 14, before you actually went to Antarctica, you did a TED talk. And what you talked to, it looked like you were in Redmond, Washington, you talked to a group of students. And you had mentioned at that time that when all is said and done, you're going to dedicate yourself to help people find their Everest. Here you are now, several years later, is whatever you decide to do, is that still your mission? Absolutely. I think it's, it's evolved, of course, as it should, but I think it's kind of on the same track. I, what, it, it was a little bit more goal-oriented as far as, you know, the whole find your Everest um, message uh, that, I would, uh, that I would communicate to youth and people who are my age and even younger um, all around the U.S. and the world. And so I think that it's evolved more in a sense of like you ultimately have to find out who you are. And I think I, I try to relate to that as far as like, you know, I'm 23 and I, you know, I still have a whole life ahead to figure out. But I think the biggest challenge, you know, obviously after that was just like kind of finding out who I am. And I think authenticity is just such a, you know, I think that's what makes us human and what makes each person, each person so special, you know, and that's why I think like just understanding what you want, uh, not because other people like to do it and all that stuff. I, I want to ask these kids, like, what do you want? Like, what do you foresee yourself doing? Like, what do you feel like your purpose for existence is, you know? And uh, I think it's just having them at least like take a step back instead of being like, Oh, like get up off the couch, you know, write down a goal and all this stuff. It's like, let's take that step. You know, let's create the foundation for that a little bit more. Like, who are you? Like, what do you like to do? What are your interests? And just kind of go down that same, you know, series of questions and ask that person, like, who, uh, who is, who is the person you want to become? 
let's leave them with the advice that we close every segment with. What do you want all of those listeners out there, whether in the mountaineering metaphor or not, what do you want them to think, to feel, and to do with their futures? Think proactively. Think outside of the box. Uh, that I that is what I feel like kind of can kind of like limit a lot of people is just kind of thinking like, you know, even when it comes to like career searching, you know, I I hear about these you know positions and I'm like, wow, like I never even thought about that. So just thinking outside of the box, um, feel of uh, least resistance. Um, quoted by Richard Carlson, one of my favorite authors, um, the path, you know, feeling out that path of least resistance and to, and what I want them to do is start today because what I've realized too, I'm a master procrastinator. I know that. I wouldn't have thought that. The, 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 <laughs> no, I, I am. Trust me. Like oh, continuous late night. Oh, late night college and whatnot, but, I think uh, I'll climb, I'll climb but, Everest but, when I'm 12. Yeah, 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 yeah. Procrastinator. Yeah. Right. But what, what I want you to do is like, <laughs> Yeah, literally at least start thinking today because um, the more you put it off, the more that day is least likely to come. And that's what I'm finally realizing now is just start today. If not now, then when is the question you got to ask yourself. Well, what I'd like to do, we're going to close here on the segment for 77WABC. And I want to continue on with you, if you don't mind, if you've got a couple minutes for our listeners. You can always find me at chuckgarcia.com. My email address is chuck at kleinleadership.com. But many of you are watching our episode archived either on my website or on the YouTube channel. I am going to put the entire episode of this on the YouTube channel. So if you are listening live on ABC, you can switch to my YouTube channel right now and the full episode is there. You have listened to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I am Chuck Garcia and I was very pleased and so honored to have our guest Jordan Romero join us from Salt Lake City. Jordan, Jordan, thank you for coming on to the show and for sharing your story. Thank you so much, Chuck, and uh, and for having me on, and uh, and also for reading my book too. It really means a lot. Every every purchase, every person who's just willing to set aside time out of their day to do that. I'm really grateful. And again, to our listeners, the book is called No Summit Out of Sight. It is a wonderful account. To me, it is a love story, as I mentioned. There is so many cool lessons in there, not just for mountaineering, but the way we live our lives. Good night to our audience. Hang on. We're going to keep recording. All right. Now we're going to switch to YouTube. Now we can, we can explore a little bit more. In your TED Talk, you talked about three inspirations. One of them is the art of inspiration. One of them is your friend, Nigel Holland, who will discuss what you carried up Everest in just a second. You also talked about the inspiration of a wonderful individual named Ang Pasan Sherpa. First thing is I want to explore the art of inspiration. What did you mean? And did that meaning change over time? Not, necess uh, not necessarily. I think the art of inspiration just kind of reminds us about, you know, that whole thinking outside of the box mentality and how creative, how, how, uh, how out of the box creations can oftentimes, like you never know who's going to stumble upon that one day and, and carry on with that seed of inspiration and essentially like turn it into something, uh, something else amazing. And so that's why I feel like is, is just so important. Like I felt, I, I feel like artwork in a sense is just like it, what it's what makes us human. It tells us stories. 
and it inspires us. And so that is uh, kind of what I've uh, understood it more as, you know, as, as I've grown up. And, you know, back then it was just like, it was a mural to me, but I feel like it, in the bigger picture, I feel like that's why, you know, art is just so amazing. And uh, for someone to, you know, there's, there's the list of the seven summits, but someone was able to approach that blank white wall and in a sense, uh, think of an amazing way to kind of uh, capture whoever, whoever is walking by it. And ultimately that was me. And uh, I always quote, uh, his, his name is, uh, or, or thank at least, uh, uh, Mr. Danner, uh, who was uh, a fifth grade teacher. And uh, it was him and his students who over, summer, who over summer had completely redesigned the school with all sorts of cool artwork. And it just so happened to be that particular wall that I just walked by one day and uh, kind of ran with the idea. And so it was just ultimately from that small decision of his to or the the approval from like the from the school board to say yes to this you know it was it was just that you know second I guess that completely transformed my life in a way so it's just like you just never know yeah to our listeners and viewers very early on in the book Jordan talked about that mural and he looked at it and he stared at it and he recognized the the one mountain bigger than the next bigger than the next that piece of art brought your climbing life to life it, that's it, it's a picture it not only said a thousand words what it did to you was the very basis of the origin of who you became that's really awesome one other thing i do want to explore and i loved reading it about the book you were handed something from a friend of yours named nigel who at eight years old was diagnosed with cancer and he handed you a bag and he started to chuckle and and you were chuckling like what, what, what what's so funny um, can you describe what he handed to you and what you carried up Mount Everest? And I would love to know what became of Nigel. So at one of our fundraisers uh, at a at a restaurant that was uh, willingly able to partner with us and uh, and kind of help us uh, at least uh, get as much like cash as we could uh, get together. Uh, you know, the, the whole community showed up uh, for their support. And uh, Nigel was a younger brother of a friend of mine who um, at a young age, uh, at six or seven years old, was uh, diagnosed with um, with brain cancer. And he, and he, be, he, tr it was an overnight transformation, literally from the kid who he was to, you know, who he became post, uh, post diagnosis, um, which was saddening if anything and uh but at the same time though i could tell like his 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 brain was still like he still had a sense of humor he still had all the things to to kind of make you laugh and uh the thing that he was giggling about was uh was he had handed me because his, his dad is australian uh and I figured with the name me, nigel he's either english or australian <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and also why uh he had a uh keychain of uh kangaroo testicles which is always kind of a, you know, a funny thing to kind of interject in the story. Uh, but, you know, I, here's this kid who, you know, hasn't really, who, who doesn't get out of like Southern California much. And I think it was just like a special thing to be able to bring this item of his, you know, all the way across the world to a place that not that many people get to go to and to kind of bring it back and, 
and uh yeah it, it and it always like reminded me to you know take, take that extra step further in exchange but uh but it, it really it really meant the world to him uh for he was in bringing a wheelchair those back. at the time is he still with us correct unfortunately he is not uh actually as of uh semi-recently as of uh roughly three years ago he he had uh passed on but his spirit still lives and uh overall i I thank him a lot for, for, uh, what he did. And, uh, ultimately it was, he, he played us, he played a big role in, uh, reminding me not to, uh, turn around and I could have gone an extra step further. It was a lovely part of the book because you were dedicating every one of those steps. Your mindset was with Nigel, a, a young lad who couldn't get out of his wheelchair, who was rooting you on and was probably around when you hit the, those summits that he was able to hoot and holler. So Nigel, you, your family out there, my heart is with you. Wherever you are, we hear you. We love you. Thank you for being a part of Nigel of, of Jordan's journey because as a reader of that book I felt that and I'm grateful for that because I, I understood what you did in the service of Jordan's success and Jordan very much thought about what he could do to honor your spirit. There's one last person here and um, I climbed Kilimanjaro with these cultural group called the Chagas. They were the guys that trekked us up and made 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 food and they did wonderful things. But you also described the Sherpas as I know many of my friends who climbed in the Himalayas, that you, it can't be done without those guys. They are this the most, and you also talked about the personalities, loving, joking around, and they're about five feet, four inches, and they put a hundred pounds on their back. Can you talk about Angpasan Sherpa is a very important guy in the history of Everest. Can you talk about him and why in that TED talk, he was the third part of that triangle? Of course, I think Ang Pasong was, uh, you know, I think he, he, he spoke for a lot of people who I met along the way who, who, um, you know, come from a, who come from limited opportunity, um, especially in, in, in a place like Nepal, and to kind of understand the economic impact of of Everest itself and how that has kind of created this, um, this new opportunity for, uh, for people like Ong, uh, Pasang and, and the rest of the Sherpa community has had a really profound, uh, impacts over time, especially since, uh, since the 1950s when, uh, uh when Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, um, first made the summit. So I think, uh, I, I, it, it was, it was just overall, just the conversations, uh, with him, just getting to know, uh, what his family is like. Just, I, and I'm always a naturally curious person. So I, I asked him all sorts of questions just along the whole um, expedition, just getting to know him better. And, and he has kind of one of 20 times or some. Yeah. He, he summited Everest, I think at that time, like three or four times. It wasn't like, a, like, I, the know, I, know, it was, I know it was a big number. Right. No, the world, the world record is like 20 plus, I think for the most sense, but yeah, he, uh, so, but it was the combined experience of him and, uh, and, uh, our two other Sherpas, uh, Lama Dala and, uh, Lama Karma Sherpa, um, who are amazing. Lama, uh, means priest in, in their language. So I think, uh, you know, looking back, I feel, I, I've, I've watched a handful of documentaries and, and stories just kind of, uh, realizing that, you know, the culture of Everest has changed even since I've been there, which was 10 years ago. It's changed a bit even since then. Um, you know, 
in 2000, uh, 2015, you know, that was another tragedy of the year and, uh, and what happened. And for the, for the listeners that, that don't know, it was, um, it was basically a, a freak accident that happened in, in the, uh, Kumbu ice fall. And during that season, uh, there were, um, well, like well over a dozen, uh, Sherpas that were, um, completely, um, you know, not even to be found after. And, uh, in their, in their, uh, culture they need proper burial for reincarnation basically so it was just absolutely devastating for the families so the um not only all the guides on on everest were kind of you know freaking out and being a part of that but it was also like the um the the tourism board of nepal got into it and all this stuff it was just like a big clash basically i feel like it was a lot of it was the straw that broke the camel's back and you kind of under uh, kind of understand how sherpas in a sense have been feeling I think uh, for all this time you know they really do put their lives on the line for um, you know for for these clients and these climbers um, I like to say that we kind of approached it as much you know I, we we wanted to make sure that we all equally contributed I feel like amongst our team because it was only a team of six that uh, ended up going up to the summit so it was all about just <clears throat> looking out for each other and not necessarily like you know, the Sherpa was kind of holding our hands in a sense, or at least we like not uh, like not to think that, but it's, uh, it's just kind of realizing like, you know, these, these guys are human beings too. They have, they have families to care for. They have, they have children to feed basically. And this is how like our, you know, our, uh, you know, what, what we pay for, for this expedition is their income essentially. And uh, so it, so we ended up going with a, a lot smaller of a business uh, called Sherpa Adventures um, in Kathmandu. And so it's a, it's a Sherpa owned uh, business entirely. Um, you know, they were in hindsight, I'm so glad we chose them over like a traditional, like Western guide that most people would uh, particularly um, take. So I don't know. I feel like there were, there were lessons to take from that and kind of uh, humbled me for sure at, at 13 and just uh, made me realize that, you know, every, you know, we're, we're all different, but we all have the same needs of just, you know, wanting, you know, some, some sense and form of like dignity or, you know, food on the table and, uh, you know, a lot. And I, I quote Anthony Bourdain uh, on this. I think one of the, the best uh, things that I've also kind of realized that he says uh, from all of his travels is that most people that you meet are doing the best they can. Doing the best they can. And, uh, I want I want to finish here, and and this is more of introspection to the mind of a twenty three year old. What have you learned about yourself since the time that you <laughs> walked up Arusha, or you're in Kilimanjaro, and it's all right. Here's one. Who knows where this is going to take us? And now you're graduating from lovely Westminster College. You're living. You've got a chapter out there. You could write it any way you want. So let me go back to that. What have you learned about yourself in all this time? <laughs> Thank you. I uh, over the past ten years, I've always found a need to um, to continue traveling, but I think with kind of a different purpose. I think uh, mountaineering in in of itself, and just like any other sport, is is relatively like ego driven in a sense. And I think to and to also ask yourself, like, what are you bringing to the table? Um, you know, as far as like how it, it can benefit the area that you're visiting, you know, that, and, uh, and, and it is in some way, you know, the, it, it's the income of the, of the guides and, and the porters, especially in a place like uh, Kilimanjaro, but like, what are you like, 
what is your footprint going to look like when you leave essentially? And so that's just something I've uh, kind of thought about um, looking back and over the past decade or so after um, completing all these climbs and, and uh, there's places that I saw that were in need of help more than others for sure. Um, looking back and um, you know, like Indonesia is definitely one of them and, uh, and Nepal for sure with just some of the most kind and welcoming people in the world. And that's where I kind of feel like my, instinct to kind of help people and kind of take a take a humanitarian approach and to just kind of you know get involved in in creative discussion and just kind of thinking outside of the box of you know like what's what's uh what's gonna in the long run um benefit those areas the most um and one of the things i've learned uh, ultimately I, is uh, after doing a couple trips to uh, do the non-skilled labor of uh, building schools in rural areas in, uh, in the country of Malawi, which I did when I was 16 and 17. Cool. I learned education is, is a huge form of it. And uh, we like to take it for granted here in the States, obviously. And I think there's, it's not perfect. And there's ways how we can definitely tweak it to kind of like, you know, let students kind of follow their curiosity a little bit more. Um, but we also kind of take for granted like the impact of an, of just an elementary school in a community, uh, you know, where people, where there's like a high illiteracy rating, um, you know, and, and just the overall poverty side, very difficult to, you know, the impact of education and, and self-empowerment. I've, that, that's just something that I saw just had the most long-term, um, it, it just makes the most sense to, to kind of implement that as long-term change. So at this point right now, I'm just kind of uh, trying to blend all these ideas together and trying to just like put them all into a little box basically. <laughs> and uh, so that that's, it's, it's a lot of brainstorming, honestly. And yeah, for sure. I think I've learned a lot about myself for sure. Um, you know, college, college and, and post seven summits kind of left me a lot with the question of what now, wow. uh, which was, which was pretty tough. And, you know, I'm, I'm in high school too. And, it's uh you know you got a lot of other stuff going on you're growing as well and so overall it it can definitely get the best of you uh mentally i think physically you know i've i've kind of ran with like being a strong person but i think like just being able to mentally comprehend like challenges and knowing how to grind and 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 like even suffer a little bit for an ultimately better outcome is kind of something that that i've uh that i've learn about and that's and that's the big thing too i think teaching kids that all around the country and when i go do talks like around schools that have read my book i you know they always ask me were there times when it wasn't fun i'm like of course of course <laughs> you very long there were so many times when it was not fun there were times when i, I tell just people wanted that to pack everything <laughs> there were times when i just wanted to pack everything up and just go home you know but i want uh, a beer and <laughs> what so do i got yeah, to, no. to get a beer on this mountain <laughs> seriously yeah no for sure and it's just like yeah you it's just like kid and and that's the other thing too i think with like social media right now as well as you know I've, you're only limited to seeing the highlights of other people's lives you know people don't go out of their way to share <clears throat> you know the things that you know their their character flaws or things that unfortunate things that happen to them like people just don't share that and so you know that's a difficult thing that I feel like I want to like at least kind of raise awareness about is I think like mental health is kind of something that is being more talked about uh, along with 
you know, the many other problems that we're facing right now. But, you know, even right now, if I'm just like sitting on my phone and looking at the news and social media all day, like that's going to have a pretty bad mental impact on you for sure. So, uh, you know, even just like getting out to go around or just kind of realizing that like, you know, these people, you know, on Instagram, life's perfect and you make it and you show your life the way you want it to. Um, and yeah, what people don't that's see, what that's what a lot of people don't see. Yeah. They don't see the space between, you know, they see the entry totally. on Instagram and they see the other entry in Instagram. Your, your book, you revealed the space between as, as many of us do to our closest friends. But for those of us that are authors, we have to decide what are we going to write? And oftentimes sure. the really good stuff that we can write about changes over the course of our time. You know, you're now 23 when you were, you and Linda wrote the book, you were talking through the lens of a 14, 15 year old, but you had lived the life of most 30 and 40 year olds. So you've completely flip-flopped. And now at 23, you're in this other place now where you can think differently, but you change. The world changes. This is the theory of relativity. And yet you come at the remainder of your life. And what I love about help people to find their own Everest, man, that is lovely. And, and I'm blessed, you know, for, for what you have done inspiring in the service of others. And yet you got 50, 60 years ahead of you and you don't need to climb a mountain to do it. You're, you're now climbing proverbial mountains in the service of other people's success. That doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> it really doesn't. It really doesn't. And that's what I always have to remind myself about too. You know, I'm, I'm always prone to like being down on myself for, you know, whatever reason. Um, but you know, it's, when you put it that way, it's, it's, it's really awesome. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I just feel among those of us, you know, I'm not a mountaineer to your achievement. I was a Wall Streeter that raising four children and I wanted to follow my dream. In fact, when you watch the pilot episode of what Dominic produced, you'll, 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 you'll get it. You'll understand my, sure. my transformation. Well, occurred. I stepped on Mount Rainier and that's when, oh my God, it unleashed the beast in me. And a year <clears> later, <throat> Kilimanjaro, a year later, I was in the Matterhorn and then I was just going. But I did not know nor could we have predicted the impact that mountaineering had in our lives. Not just to us, but what we can bring to other people in the metaphor of what we have been through physically, we recognize not everybody needs to climb a damn mountain to, to, to feel good about it. They got other things they're gonna do, whatever that is. But you said in the book, it was, uh, in fact, let me, let me get up the right quote here. Um, I don't want to screw this up. Just a second, and I can edit this. But here is one of the expressions that came out, and it came out, and it, it said, dream big, live life, do something. That's a simple command. Yeah. It's simple, but it's not easy. A lot of people don't do something. Absolutely. I, you know, I've, I've, I've always approached everything in life as, as minimalistic as possible. And I'm, I'm always a big advocate for simplicity, but even a lot of the simplest things can be very challenging and complex to even achieve for sure. And, and, and that quote says it right there. It's like, you know, it's, it's abstract, but at the same time too, it's like, 
and and it's what six words. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, it's, action. <laughs> but it's all but it's also like it makes people think like, wow, okay, that's it's 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 a whole lot to kind of unbuckle, I guess. I I think from there and uh, but in that sense, it kind of goes back to the art of inspiration. You know, it's just one simple thing that could produce some amazing results amongst uh, people and you know challenge them to creatively innovate and we'll leave it there jordan it was such a pleasure thank you for your time both on the prep call and for this to our listeners who are watching us thank you for tuning in to our youtube channel and to a climb to the top on 77 wabc and jordan i hope we will well not i hope that's up to us we stay in touch very well let's let's continue as we climb these mountains in the service of other people's success we are taking different approaches to do it but there, there there's there's concentric circles here there's intersections about how we can help others so let's just keep that current running um I will post you on all developments. Um, I'm grateful for taking the time to review the body of work called The Climb to the Top, which is a pilot episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But to our listeners, yeah. I wish you all a good night. Keep climbing. As, as Paul says, the mountains want you, they want you to climb them. So, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that was your buddy in Kilimanjaro. I forget his name. <coughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I forget. But yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's true, man. They're, so get out. Yeah, they're not going to climb themselves. It's, uh, that's for damn sure. But yeah, it's, uh, they, uh, they make, they make us learn a lot about each other and whoever you're with. And just as you go through the ups and downs, you really just get to learn who you are and whoever you're, uh, and about whoever you're with. So well, I'll, it comes I'll, full I'll, circle. I'll, and, I'll, I'll conclude here in, in Jordan's TED talk, he was to a bunch of students and he asked them to write down their goal on, a, on an index card. And he put the goal on their heart and he asked them to close their eyes and they closed their eyes. And he said, all right, now take one step. You ha And they did. You have just taken one step closer to the top of your mountain. That was an absolutely smashing way to, to end a talk. And I think it's a metaphor for you, Jordan, guiding others and for that, we are blessed. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, that uh, the the way of closing out a, a talk, uh, which is exactly that. That's uh, that's what Terry uh, helped me with, and it was a it was an amazing idea. And uh, yeah, we, we we had a we had a talk a little bit prior to this, and we were just thinking like, wow, I we met ten years ago. Like, where did the time go? And it was it was awesome. We had a yeah, good talk. Okay, yeah, Jordan. Communication lines wide open. Very grateful for this. Thank you. And good Likewise, night. yeah, for sure. I'll give a I'll give a peep for your uh, pilot, and I'll let you know what I think about. It. It's the least okay. I can do. So, yeah. thank you. Cool. See. You. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.